Okay, everybody, welcome to another amazing episode of This Week in Startups. It's Friday, Friday, and we've got a great show for you. Audius's co-founder, Roniel Rumberg, joins us to talk about his crazy crypto project, which is basically a decentralized Spotify or SoundCloud where artists earn tokens for engagement on their songs, and then people create servers and their own clients like Spotify, and it has generated a billion dollars in market cap. It is a crazy ownership structure. You have to hear it to believe it. And I want to talk about China and how they are interfering and basically closing the noose on all of their tech companies. Stick with us. It's going to be a great episode. Season three of The Next Unicorns is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters. Post your first job for free at linkedin.com slash unicorn. Bubble empowers people to design and launch their own apps, marketplaces, or tools without needing coding skills or pricey engineers. The first 500 listeners will get one month free on any of Bubble's paid plans from $29 a month up to $529 a month at bubble.io slash twist. And Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. Okay, in our first news story, China is planning on banning US IPOs for big tech companies. This is an ongoing story. And we've got to keep talking about it. Uh, The Wall Street Journal today in an exclusive report. And here's the quote, China plans to propose new rules that would ban companies with large amounts of sensitive consumer data from going public in the US, people familiar with the matter said. So let that sink in. We allow TikTok here which has access to people's microphones, their photo rolls, their camera, their location, and their friend graph and their phone book. We let China have all that information. China is so savvy that they're doing the opposite. We need to really look at China as our adversary. We are in competition with them uh, here in the United States and the, the West writ large. And when we are in competition with them, You need to study your competitor and understand why they're doing what they're doing. And we need to really understand what is China's end game here? What is their goal? So if you remember on episode uh, 1244 in July, I told you about uh, the CAC, the Cyberspace Administration of China. They issued draft rules that would halt foreign IPOs for Chinese companies collecting data from over 1 million users. Okay, (laughs) 1 million users for a public company is a very low benchmark. I don't think there's any public company that has over, under a one mil, under 1 million users. So they're basically saying any company. Well, these uh, new draft rules are coming from a different agency this time. This is the CSRC, China's Securities Regulatory Commission. Uh, and China has a lot of these different groups and regulatory commissions uh, in their country and different regions operate with some level of independence, but obviously, Uh, Xi Jinping is in charge at the end of the day, and he is exerting serious power over entrepreneurs, capitalism. And I think the why is what we need to understand. Why is he doing this? And why now? Two whys. So um, these rules from the CSRC seem similar to the ones by the CAC. 
Um, here's a quote from the journal. Under the new rules, China would also establish a mechanism that requires companies to obtain formal approval from overseas IPOs from a cross-ministry committee that would be set up in the coming months. Basically, this means they're going to close the loophole that companies like Alibaba, Didi, Tencent have used in the past. This is called the VIE, Variable Interest Entities. So according to Reuters, VIEs are ways for Chinese companies to raise money from foreign investors and list overseas, uh, avoiding the CCP, Chinese Communist Party's regulations. Always remember, China is a communist authoritarian country. Sometimes we forget that here in the West because we have been in this, you know, really deep integration with them around the world. And uh, we're building iPads and phones over there. They're taking our movies in the NBA. They bring us Amazon Basics cables. But we're in partnership with a communist authoritarian human rights violating regime. Keep that in mind because we've all been living in a mirage that China is heading towards democracy. They are not. So from the Reuters article, the VIE structure was created two decades ago to help skirt Chinese rules restricting foreign investment in a number of sensitive industries, such as media and telecommunications. In other words, the Chinese are smart. They don't want other people owning their media channels as opposed to us. Like we have Fox, we let Rupert Murdoch buy a ton of stuff over here. We are very open as a society. We let people invest in our country. Uh, for better or worse. And uh, China is saying, Nope, we're not doing that anymore. And they are trying to control this. Uh, so uh, from Reuters in a VIE, a Chinese company sets up an offshore company for overseas listing purposes that allows foreign investors to buy into the stock. Very basic, think of it like a shell company. Um, according to Nikkei, uh, companies that have used VIEs, I don't know if they're referred to as VIEs, I'm going to say that VIEs are worth a total of 1.62 trillion. The Chinese tech policy reporter Kendra Schaefer uh, did a tweet uh, thread today, uh, early this morning, and she says China's CAC has also released draft regulations for algorithms. And this is really fascinating to me. And I actually think there's something to be learned here. Uh, again, I said, you need to know about your adversary if you're going to be in competition with them. Well, here's something where I just think they're doing something that is savvy for their society and their society, as you know, in China is based on harmony. They're going for harmony. Our society in America, would you describe it as harmonious? Maybe not. Maybe you would describe it as conflicted debate, vibrant debates, uh, and uh, competition, right? We have a slightly different idea here in America that we want to compete and, and have winners and losers as opposed to harmony. So uh, algorithms are obviously if you're watching this being startups, you know, how your Facebook feed is uh, prepared for you or Twitter now, which went from reverse chronological order to being uh, produced by an algorithm things that have a lot of signal, maybe things that are outrageous lies, or uh, conspiracy theories have a tendency to move up because they engage you more, they create rage or emotion. And that is one of the big problems we have here in the United States is rage based social media or YouTube taking people down into the intellectual dark web. Maybe you start with an, uh, you know, simple Sam Harris, interesting video, and then you wind up at a one of the Weinstein brothers. And then all of a sudden, you're, you know, listening to Dave Rubin, or Ben Shapiro, and then you wind up on Emilio Yiannopoulos, or, you know, some other band person who's a white supremacist giving Nazi salutes, etc. Uh, and so these are very challenging, uh, because the people who write them, they write them with the goal of engagement increasing, they don't actually know um, how the uh, algorithm is doing this, they just tell the algorithm, hey, the outcome we want 
is more time on site. YouTube just wants you to watch that extra video, spend an extra two or three minutes there, and they make more money because they are advertising based businesses. If they were subscription based businesses, it wouldn't matter as much. Sure, Netflix tries to get you to watch an incremental show, but they're doing that for your enjoyment, not so that they can show you more ads. So uh, here's the tweet from Kendra, who we should have on the program. Uh, most interesting to me, users must be provided with a convenient way to see and delete the keywords that the algorithm is using to profile them. I just noticed on Chrome, you know how they show you your news, you can actually now edit that or at least when I was in Italy, you could do that. So that might be an EU thing. But sometimes people will let you see what the algorithm is trying to show you and let you tweak it. On YouTube, you can tweak the algorithm by saying show me more or less of this. When you hit on that little triple dot, on the corner of YouTube videos, some of you may be aware of this, but we don't really have a lot of information on how the algorithms work, because that's proprietary. And as Google always says, we don't want to tell you how the algorithm works, because then SEO people will game it to move up the rankings. In another tweet from Kendra, users must be informed that algorithms are being used to recommend content or products to them, and must be allowed to opt out and see non personalized results. This is brilliant. This is something that should exist in the United States. This is an easy regulation to come up with. When you use Facebook, you should be able to say no algorithms, just reverse chronological order, which I think they have somewhere in the menu system, actually, but it should be more prominent. And you should be able to opt out of getting personalized stuff, um, which we're starting to see a little bit of here in the United States. Uh, the CCP is also cracking down on algorithms that could influence public opinion. Think about this Facebook right wing algorithm stuff that we've been talking about over and over and over again, uh, or the far left hysterical liberal mobs on Twitter, uh, both equally, in my mind, annoying, um, and um, just loathsome and particularly annoying. The party does not want and this is Kendra speaking in her tweet, uh, or Kendra tweeting, the party does not want algorithms running amok or influencing and influencing public opinion, the CAC will keep records of algorithms that have in quotes, public opinion attributes, or social mobilization capabilities, public opinion attributes or social mobilization capabilities. In other words, my reading of that would be people can then go mobilize and, um, you know, protest, which is something that Chinese do not like. If you remember Tiananmen Square, if you're too young, type in Tiananmen Square, uh, or you can look back on Hong Kong over the last couple of years, students protesting for freedom being run over by tanks being murdered being put in jail and tortured. That's how the CCP does business. Uh, I don't care if I ever go back to China. I think they're bad actors. And uh, I think we need to take a hard line. I'm a China hawk. Uh, and here is Kendra wrapping up as far as I'm concerned, this policy marks the moment that China's tech regulation is not simply keeping pace with data regulations in the EU, but has go gone beyond them. So here we have one country, the United States, where we let tech companies run amok. And it's causing chaos in our society with misinformation, Russians, Chinese interference in elections, and um, particularly going after race and trying to create uh, a lack of harmony in the United States. That's what China and Russia want to do. They want to make everybody in the United States obsessed with our two weaknesses as a country, gun control and race in reverse order. Those are the two things that Americans really have a hard time dealing with. And that's what the Chinese and Russians want us to do. They want us to fight on social media. So we're distracted while they build big industries and the technologies of the future. So on the other side, uh, you have the Chinese now who are going to say we're in control of the algorithms, we're in control of the data, somewhere in between the EU uh, and Europe saying, let's give some more controls to the people. 
three different uh, policies. One is going to result in authoritarianism. One is in resulting in a vibrant free market um, with some unintended consequences. And the middle one, throttling uh, the growth of companies while maybe making life a little more tenable for people uh, in the middle. So it's like anything else. Uh, Goldilocks is porridge. Too cold, too hot, maybe just right. So uh, are these a good idea, these rules drafted by the CCP? Uh, you know, I, I kind of like the rules around the algorithms and transparency. I think that that's a big win. Um, I don't like them having all the data. So what they're doing is saying, don't trend things that could cause a protest or criticism of the CCP. That's really what they're doing. So it looks like they're trying to do this to help the individual. What they're really trying to do is maintain control. They don't want something trending about somebody, you know, being beat up or jailed by the cops. They don't want something about the Uyghurs being sterilized and tortured and forced to pick cotton uh, for shirts that probably are being purchased by people in the West. Sadly, that's why they want to control trending topics, um, which you can understand if you're trying to run an authoritarian country, you don't want trending topics like we had here in the Black Lives Movement, right? BLM was driven in large part by not just video cameras, but those videos then trending on social media, and that caused massive social change. That same thing, China is absolutely aware that that could happen. And that's what they want to stop. So there's also some other things going on here, uh, related to the tech industry, China's Supreme People's Court, God, they've got so many of these and its Ministry of Human Resources and Social Security have ruled that their 996 schedule, at least the one in tech, is going to be illegal. In other words, working 9am to 9pm, six days a week is going to be illegal. Even if you have stock options, even if you want to work, even if you love your job, you're creating something that's super world positive, they're going to get rid of that. Um, 996, as you know, is uh, pretty controversial. Um, because we used to all work that in Gen X, like back in the day, that was kind of standard here in America. If you wanted to work at a tech company, you would expect it to be there on Saturday or Sunday. You're expected to get in, stumble in between 9 or 10 or 11 in the morning and stay till 9, 10 p.m. at night, especially when you're doing all-nighters. In fact, uh, Zuckerberg used to do something called like a lockdown. He would lock down the company and all the developers and say, hey, we're working uh, for seven days, 20 days, 30 days on this project. And if you didn't perform and come in on weekends, uh, I think maybe think less of you. Before we get to the ad read, I want you to go to linkedin.com slash unicorn and post your first job for free at LinkedIn jobs. That's right. A free job posting from LinkedIn jobs, your founders, you're running a company, you need to get talent in there to help you out because your company is growing so fast. And you're so busy. Time spent searching for and interviewing the wrong candidates for a job opening is wasted time. You could be putting that into your customers, your product, your team, and your vision. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing in front of you. And they do it so fast. You can create a job post in minutes on LinkedIn and reach the world's largest professional network of over 750 million people focus on the candidates with the skills and the experience you need and use screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified people then use the simple tools that are built into LinkedIn jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you want to interview and hire we love LinkedIn jobs here at launch 
and this week in startups, we hired a third producer, we're going to hire a fourth, we got a curriculum designer working on founder.university, which is going to be a 12 week program every week, 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn, you get your first job listing for free. That's right, free F R E E linkedin.com slash unicorn linkedin.com slash unicorn to post that job for free terms and conditions do apply because they're giving you something for free. If you remember my tweet from 2019, April of 2019, I wrote this founders were up against Jack Ma and China enforcing a 72 hour work week 996 equals six days a week 9am to 9pm. The same exact work ethic that built America, you can get on your Twitter pedestal attack Ma or you can make a plan to win. Well, here we are two years later. And uh, I don't think we have to worry about China uh, as directly in terms of competing against our internet companies, they're just not going to. Uh, this tweet aged poorly. <laughs> 996 is now illegal. So for a period of time, I do think the Chinese were a real threat here. Now I think China is going to have a civil war. I actually believe that if they're going to really uh, not have entrepreneurs in that country building uh, for the future, they might have some short term games where they take all their developers and put them on life extension, uh, making super soldiers, making weapons. Th there could be some plan here that we're not aware of. I know this sounds crazy, conspiracy, uh, madness, but if you look at the arc of history, you can look at other authoritarian countries where an authoritarian leader kind of jumped the fence and went a little crazy. Maybe Jack Ma was too threatening to Xi Jinping and now Xi Jinping wants to control the country and maybe he wants to dominate the entire human race uh, and win planet Earth. This sounds crazy, I know, but there were other <laughs> dictators in history who had a similar vision. And if you do not think that's possible now, you are uh, incredibly naive or you haven't watched the History Channel <laughs> or both. Pretty interesting turn of events here. If we just summarize, they displaced all the billionaire founders. Check. Uh, then they started obstructing foreign listings and brought the hammer down on DD. Uh, and uh, now DD is not going to launch in the UK, uh, from what I understand, and they warned them to postpone their IPO. And then they didn't let people download the app anymore. Now they're telling big companies um, to basically not let people work overtime. And they're telling them how to handle their algorithms. How is this going to play out exactly? Hmm, seems like they're going to uh, the state is going to own everything. This would be as if imagine if Trump or Biden went to Amazon and said Bezos is out, you know, he retired, but Bezos is out. Amazon, nobody works overtime. And since you have all this data, we now get all the data, and we kind of run it. And the end, uh, pretty, pretty crazy stuff going on here. Uh, so uh, let's get on to the interview. Okay, everybody next up on the program, we're going to talk a little bit about a really clever crypto idea. Now, you know, I've been a bit critical of all the scams, ICOs, speculation, market manipulation, regulatory breaking insanity in crypto over the last decade. But it really has been earmarked by or bookended by two very interesting moments. Over 10 years ago, the early true believers in the space had a really clear vision for what a decentralized, i.e no one person in charge, a decentralized currency based infrastructure would look like, and what impact they could have. And they were kind of dreaming up ideas. And one of them was storing money store of value is the fancy way of saying just storing money. Kind of think of that like owning gold, or maybe you own uh, some diamonds or even cash. 
And then you had money transfer. Okay, mm, are people really using crypto to transfer money around? In some cases, speculation obviously has become a great big use case. People using all kinds of different coins from real coins to ish coins as a way of gambling on the internet. Uh, or speculating on this crazy new future. Not something I'm a fan of. ICO is obviously something I'm not a fan of. But I feel like now we're at the 10 year mark. And I said from the beginning, some interesting ideas might emerge that were run by legit people who aren't running scams. And today on the program, we have one of those individuals. Uh, his name is Roniel Rumberg, and he has a little company called Audius. As in audio plus us. Welcome to the program, Roniel. Thanks so much for having me, Jason. You heard my little preamble there. I saw you nodding along and laughing a bit. You were attracted to the crypto space starting when? Yeah, so uh, my first kind of uh, intersection with crypto was in 2012 or, or so. So I was a uh, computer science student at Stanford. Um, I was very interested in uh distributed systems and like kind of practical use cases for uh, uh, for those. So I, I was uh, working at a little company called uh, AeroFS at, at that time, uh, uh, founded by uh, a guy named Yuri uh, Sagalov. So uh, I was, you know, just the bumbling intern right at, at the office. And uh, we were building this like kind of file uh, uh, file distribution, think like a decentralized Dropbox. That was kind of what they were trying to build. And of course, all the engineers at the office were like obsessed with uh, Bitcoin talking about it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and uh, uh, one of my other intern friends, uh, who's now my co-founder at, at Audius uh, Forest, uh, Forest Browning, um, he and I, uh, uh, you know, kind of we're both talking about Bitcoin at that time. We were like, hey, you know, we we have free uh, electricity at school, right? Like we don't get pulled ah. in uh, in the dorms uh, for for electricity. So what if we got some uh, old cast off um, mining hardware and, and started to mine a bit? Right. And, uh, you know, because we could, you know, mining hardware that was unprofitable for others to use because of the electricity cost if that cost is zero. Just like. Great. Yeah, you took so, out the expense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean the, beyond the expense of the rig, I guess. Yeah. So it started out really just as a way to get beer money, right? And uh, as I learned more, um, you know, I just got really excited about what this could do, and and not so much to to your to your intro around the uh, financial use cases, but really around like what what we could kind of build and and have owned and operated by communities of people that otherwise mm. used to be companies, right? Um, got it. You can organize people around things uh, and make them do productive work, like in, in Bitcoin's case, kind of processing transactions uh, without trusting each other. And, and that was kind of that core little nugget that I was like, oh, that's so cool. They never busted you for having these rigs in your uh, <laughs> in your dorm room? Nobody ratted you out? Oh, man. Um, I mean, no one ratted us out, but um, <laughs> uh, we actually found a way. So. You know, we were drawing so much current, we used to blow the circuit breakers pretty often for ah. like our part of the floor. And then like people would be like, well, yeah, we don't have electricity. Um, so we finally, uh, uh, you know, when the maintenance uh, uh, person had come to open up the little breaker box and, and flip it, uh, we convinced him to just leave it unlocked so that we could uh, yeah, you know, sure. go turn it back yeah. on when, when Good that Good for happened. him. He doesn't have to come back and flip it every, exactly, uh, yeah, every two yeah. or three days. Wow. And then other situation. That, nothing nothing else no one right. no one noticed so I'd thank say the thank lord you, you could have uh, got banned it would have been an ethical <laughs> violation but here we go i think you're past the uh, statute of limitations so the nft craze has uh really taken over 
I mean, the last couple of weeks have been amazing, uh, just in terms of people's um, embracing this new future of collectibles online. You started working with uh, this concept of combining NFTs and the music industry. And you talked a little bit before about communities having power versus centralized power. But when we think about centralized power outside of finance and maybe education, the music industry is pretty far up there. You have a small number of labels that control very large libraries and in fact can dictate uh, a lot of what breaks in terms of taste and um you know even manufacturer stars uh, would be i guess the most cynical way to say it and i guess the most pos pos positive way to frame it would be you know they they help stars reach ultimate heights and that kind of stuff but uh tell me what is the vision for audius which is spelled by the way for folks who are th uh, wondering a u d i u s audius yeah, so so we really foresee a, a future where artists and fans are financially and otherwise engaging directly with one another. Um, and and direct means you know no company sitting in between them, no middleman of, of any kind. Um, literally, like you know, if if you consume my content, the moment you consume it, uh, money going into my pocket if I've chosen to charge for that content, or you know, if I'm monetizing in some other way, um, you know, that kind of interaction being instantaneous, right? And um, uh, uh, you know, we that that future we we kind of um, you know, for foresaw, I guess, partly from you know, my my co-founder and I were both uh, uh very like excited about and and interested in. Um, crypto kind of uh, things, right, and decentralized tech more broadly. But um, we also just saw so many of our favorite creators choosing to leave platforms like SoundCloud and and others because they felt they were getting mistreated there. Um, and mm. that was was ultimately what um, led us to say, hey, if if we could create a place where artists actually owned uh, the relationships with their fans and owned that ability to distribute uh, uh, content, merch, everything else to them, um, that could be something interesting. I want to tell you for a minute about one of the original innovators in the no-code space. Yes, I'm talking about Bubble. Bubble empowers anyone to design and launch their own apps, marketplaces, or tools without any coding skills or pricey engineers. Mary Fox, who is a launch portfolio founder, quit her six-figure job after she discovered Bubble to build her professional coaching startup, Marlowe. And we invested in Marlowe because we're like, wow, this founder can build their own service? and they're not a developer, it was amazing. Bubble offers a digital editor and cloud-hosted platform starting at just $29 a month. And users can build almost any complex website from an app to SaaS to social networks, and you get to spend less time building and more time testing your MVP. Bubble utilizes drag and drop elements in their visual editor, so you can go from an idea to a launchable product in just days or weeks not months. They handle all the boring stuff that you don't want to deal with like deployment and hosting. Bubble has over 1 million users and they enable over $1 billion in business volume. Uh, really great product. So Bubble is now offering one month free on any of their paid plans. That means $29 a month all the way up to $529 a month. But act fast because they're only offering this deal for the first 500 redemptions. Go to bubble.io slash twist B-U-B-B-L-E dot io slash twist and snag one of those 500 coupons today what does crypto have to do with any of that because i've been pitched on you know dozens and dozens of startups that have a similar pitch of hey we want to be the SaaS platform for artists to be able to share their music like distro kid 
uh, and publish to platforms or to monetize like Patreon does. Why the need for NFTs or crypto in any of this? What does that buy you? Yeah, so this is really, we see a means to to the end of, of the distribution tool chain being owned and operated by the, the very creators that make it valuable, right? So um, without like a, a blockchain of, of some kind, uh, uh, we couldn't figure out from a technical perspective how to have this kind of distribution tool chain, um, you know, not be in control of or in the hands of of a company, whether that's ours or, or someone else's. So, you know, when we say direct, you know, we I, I think, uh, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, centralized companies will also use that term, right? But it's really, you know, the money is still flowing through that company, that company is still in a uh, centralized fashion controlling that distribution. And I think there's so much scar tissue in music um, from companies doing that, right? Like, SoundCloud decided to take away uh, their API, for example, um, mm. and and uh, all of the workflows that artists had built up to like distribute concert tickets, for example, to fans that were following them on SoundCloud, they just stopped working because the mm. API went away. So um, uh, I think it was really a trust thing, right? Um, artists felt that they didn't need to trust, you know, me or or the team building this because the that assumption wasn't baked into. Okay, uh, so let's system. let's step back for a second because, as is the case with many crypto projects, we kind of almost instantly go to the thirty thousand foot view and the philosophical yeah. view. Let's come back down to reality. I'm on the website right now. I see a bunch of trending songs. One of them is by my pal Steve Aoki, and I see he's got a bunch of favorites and reposts and twenty thousand plays almost. And it says at the top, dollar sign audio rewards top five tracks each week win dollar sign audio. So is this like a contest where if you trend, you then as Audius, the project and company, then give them coins in the cryptocurrency? So it's like a video game. And does Steve Aoki have a label? And then what do they think about him selling tracks here? How does this work? Yeah, yeah. So, so getting down to brass tacks, um, you know, Audius looks and, and feels like any other music player, right? Um, uh, and that kind of, I think, is aligned with the philosophy we've, we've put forward that, you know, crypto is, is a means to this end. It's not the reason this product exists, right? Um, uh, if there were better tools to do what we wanted to do, we would have used them, right? Um, and, uh, uh, I think, it, it, yeah. So, so to your, to your, some of your questions specifically, um, there are kind of these uh, rewards programs that the network runs. So like as a, as a uh, artist sharing content on Audius, if your track is, is among the trending, uh, trending tracks, which is determined by this uh, uh, kind of like karma algorithm that, that the community devised um, is a, it's all open source. If, if anyone's ever curious to, to check it out, um, uh, uh, you get these uh, rewards on a weekly basis. If you're part of that um, part of that group. So, um, that's not really monetization as, as such. We saw that more as, as a, you know, uh, a means to incentivize engagement. And, you know, uh, folks like Steve have, have been very supportive of, um, of the platform. And, and yeah, I mean, today over five and a half million people listen to, to Audius on a monthly basis and over a hundred thousand up, uh, artists have uploaded so far. So, um, I think that's, that's like the, the key thing here, right? Like, again, that crypto is the means to the end. Um, the end here is like a new distribution tool chain for for music. It's not, you know, crypto, whatever, whatever, right? Um, and I think that's where so, so in many that folks way, it's wrong. similar yeah. to like DistroKid or Spotify put together. You upload yes a song as an artist, 
and then people can listen to it. Uh, and you have an app so people can listen to music on there, but you don't have the rights to giant, huge catalogs. This is only music that people have chosen to share on this platform, correct? That's exactly right. Um, so it's all been, you know, directly uploaded by artists uh, choosing choosing to do that. Um, there are some folks signed uh, uh, to labels that use Audius as well. But, um, you know, in those cases, like the artist went in and asked uh, uh, the folks at their label, like, hey, you know, can I, uh, can I try this thing out or put some stuff there, that kind of thing. So, um, so there are different ways that um, content can, can, uh, you know, different permissions that certain content might need to get, I guess is a better way to put it. But, um, you know, anyone can can come and upload uh, uh, their stuff and immediately, you know, distribute it to uh, to the fans here and, you know, their fan base potentially elsewhere too. Do the fans buy? What do you call your coin? Dollar sign audio? Is it called? Uh, it's the uh, audio token. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you buy the audio token. Do I as a consumer buy the audio token and do something with it? Like I give it like tips, like maybe brave browser has the attention token. Mm -hmm. What is the what is the device by which a user participates in the audio token? Yeah, so uh, uh, the tokens not uh, not so much directed at, at fans as it is uh, artists and then the kind of infrastructure layer of, of audience. So there's, uh, uh, you know, sort of, um, you know, at a, at a very high level, there's this network of of uh, so called node operators that host content on the network. Um, you know, think like if you if you ran like a, a server and you wanted to earn a little bit of money from it, you could uh, mm. uh, run a server on the Audius network and help host people's content and do other things. Um, you so uh, your network is then distributed. You don't need to have servers at AWS or on exactly. Azure. So all the music is hosted on this decentralized server. How yeah. many servers are running on the network right now? I think like 60 or 70 right now. Um, oh. And those are actually pretty professional too. So so you need to put up uh, 200,000 uh, audio tokens to to be able to run one of those. Uh, ah. uh, yeah. Um, and the tokens so go for 250. So for basically, uh, that means 100 tokens would be worth 250 bucks 200 tokens would be 500 bucks so people pay you 500 bucks to put up a server and then oh, yeah. they make so, well two things they're not paying us they can go uh, like uh, uh buy those tokens but it's a uh, 200 oh, that's right 000, they're buying tokens uh, from anybody who's selling yeah. them it's 200,000 tokens actually so uh oh yeah 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 uh i'm looking at the audience price it says two dollars and 47 cents a token um, yeah, right? so uh, uh, to be a node operator on the network, you'd need to buy 200,000 of, of those. So that's like, oh. you know, what, five, uh, $500,000, something like that. Well, yeah. Why would somebody pay $500,000 to serve your files for you? Uh, they're able to generate uh, revenue from from that service. So uh, the network is actually paying them uh, uh, uh. rewards and, and um, to to you know, basically help support that that function. So what so, are the nerd? What, what are the nerd? What are the node operator? What are the nerds running the nodes get paid per month? Like you had said you had 60 of them. So now they have these basic franchises that they've bought into how much do they pay? Yeah, so how much do they um, make rather? Yeah, so it, it depends on how much uh, they have uh, kind of gotten the community to delegate to them. So mm -hmm. 
let's say like I'm I'm a node operator. If you wanted to kind of put your tokens to work, but you didn't necessarily have the technical know-how to run a node, you could lend your tokens to me and I could kind of make my server beefier or run more servers by by doing that. Um, so uh, uh, the, the way that rewards are distributed is actually on a like per token staked basis. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, so let's say I... Um, you know, I put up, uh, say, a million tokens, and um, I, I uh, run my node. Um, right now, the reward rate for that is you'd get about 25% um, per year of additional tokens for the number of tokens that you put up. So, um, hmm. uh, and that fluctuates, there's, there's, uh, actually, if, if, you know, um, if anyone's curious to learn more, you can go to, uh, dashboard.audius.co um and and you can see actually like the real-time rewards rate you can go explore uh the people running nodes you can learn all about that um um and uh uh yeah so i, I guess the token really powers the economy on that side it also as an artist um if you stake those tokens, you get access to additional distribution features. So there are some things that consume resources at the network level. So um, an example of that is you can uh, uh, display NFTs on your profile um, and link out to where you can buy and sell them. So uh, we have many artists who've issued NFTs and have markets around them. So they're able to aggregate all of the NFTs they've issued on say OpenSea or uh, Rarible or Super Rare, all these other platforms and put them in, in one place. So that becomes kind of their storefront, if you will. How much time and money do you spend integrating a bunch of different software products together at your company? Let me guess, way too much time. Well, Odoo is here to help. Odoo is a suite of business apps that runs your entire company on one platform. They'll streamline your workflow by bringing all of that information together. Plus, Odoo's integrations eliminate repetitive tasks and data entry. If you only need two or three apps to optimize your workflow, that's all you pay for. Odoo won't stick you with the bill for apps you don't use. Odoo has an app for every business need. They offer 30 main apps that are updated regularly and over 16,000 apps from their active open source community. You can keep your books tight with their financial software and their sales and CRM apps will help provide a clear and organized view of your business. So here is your call to action. Your first app is free forever. And right now Odoo is offering a one thousand dollar credit on your first implementation pack that's not a joke that's a thousand dollars just go to odoo.com slash twist to check it out that's odoo.com slash twist so when you start the company or the project um you issue 400 million audio coins and then who gets those do you give them to your investors do you keep them as a company and slowly sell them to fund the company because looking at coin market cap, which I'm not sure how accurate this is. Um, it says you're the number 90 uh, cryptocurrency uh, with a $990 million market cap. Now that doesn't mean $990 million have been paid for the tokens. It just means if you took the total tokens in circulation and times it by $2.50, that's what you get or mm -hmm. so whatever it is, right? Um, so how does one you know, uh, distribute those 400 million tokens? And how many of those do you own? Do the companies own? I'm always interested in how this moment of origin of how you make the decision on what to do with the tokens, because yeah, it's like if you kept 
300 million of them, you would have just printed $600 million plus for yourself. But then do people believe in the project? Or do you have to give them all away? How does it work? Yeah, so fantastic questions. And I, I think this gets at the meat of like, it, you know, uh, uh, this is not a company, right? And uh, these crypto projects, I think project really is almost the right uh, uh, term. Um, because but you're an incorporated company that raised money from Lightspeed and General Catalyst, to be clear. Uh, so those folks were actually purchasing tokens. Uh, uh, the venture enough. firms bought tokens. Yeah. So there's lots to unpack around how that happened and how but you that are an LL you are an LLC then or you're a, a corporation in Delaware. Uh, so there is an LLC that those folks invested in, which was a holdings vehicle that uh, had ah. tokens. Yeah. So, so it's, there it's, is no Delaware company called Audius. So there, there is, um, ah. and that is that company is you know what like can uh, enter into agreements, like when we had wow. an office and when we did things like this. But uh, uh, that organization, you know, when it, we we describe it as a temporary organization that exists to help steward this network and grow mm -hmm. it, um, and. So yeah, getting back to your question around the the token allocation. Um, so there there are actually a billion tokens that existed at the inception of the network, but not all of those are available to be traded or in circulation. As, as nice round so, number. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so you can see that like uh, on on uh, Coin Market Cap or trackers like that. There's this fully diluted uh, value, and then there's ah. also the um, uh, kind of like total supply number. Um, so there were a billion tokens at, at the network's um, sort of inception, uh, and then the token supply inflates over time. So there, um, there's a 7% rate of inflation. Uh, that means 70 million new tokens minted in the first year. We're like eight months through uh, that first year. The network launched on um, on October 23rd last year. So that's when you send those 70 million out every year, they're worth 100 over $150 million. Who gets the $150 million? Yeah, folks uh, uh, operating nodes on the network or artists distributing content on the network. So ah, um, so they're not for sale. You're just no, gifting them yeah. to the people in the project and, or actually uh, paying the people in the project. Yeah. Saying you there is also worth clarifying. It's okay. actually the network on chain is, is doing that. So our company uh, like, you know, uh, uh, doesn't actually kind of facilitate or even intervene at, at all in in how that uh, that all huh. works. There's a set of smart contracts on chain that oh wow um, that actually are minted. So, but you wrote the smart contracts, yeah. And can you change them? No. Uh, so okay. the community could vote to change them, and they have. Uh, there are, I think, now like thirty or forty governance proposals have been passed by uh, by the community, where you know one token is is one vote. Um, and uh, yeah, they, you know, they, they have uh, full control and, and say, you know, that's, that's why we really can credibly say like, you know, we, I can't pull the rug out from, I'm literally not capable of taking away, you know, the audience API, for example, or any of these things, the community would have to vote to, to make changes. Like so that. there's an opportunity for people to get some number of those 7% that are released every year, whatever number of tokens that winds up being. Mm -hmm. um if there's a actually what you know we ha you have a billion tokens so seven would be 70 million a year is that right or released yeah that's exactly so right 70 million will be released for the next 10 years or so or uh, oh years? no that's per year no matter what forever uh uh yeah well so so the network design is actually a compounding seven percent rate oh. so at the one year mark it would be whatever seven percent of uh, uh 1.07 million or billion sorry so you can kind of compound that out but wow. um uh but uh yeah i mean and that's that's how you know 
Okay, uh, so how uh, yeah. much do I get paid for putting a song up there? If I put a song up there, do I just automatically get something, or does it have to get listens? For me yeah, to get so something? It, it needs to be listened to, um, and and some of the 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 structures are, are around how those kind of payouts are are distributed get um uh, get a little bit complicated, but it's it's also dependent on how much of the token you are. Uh, staking as an artist to uh be able to get access to distribution and, and explain whatnot. to um, the audience what it means for the artist to stake we got the idea that okay in order to be a node put a server on the network and be part of the distribution you got to have whatever it is a half million dollars in um tokens that you've purchased you're saying the artist has to buy into the audience network as well in order yeah, to share so they can and also what does that earn cost them yeah, they can also earn their way in, which I, I think is oh. interesting. So so you can get started for free and uh, uh, upload content and do stuff like that. But uh, your rate of rewards can increase if you have a larger position. So the, the size of your position kind of, you know, is, is almost like self reinforcing and self retrenching through that like inflationary distribution structure, right? Um, uh, uh, so yeah, I mean, most of our artists, uh, uh, you know, got their initial uh, uh, token ownership through uh, when the network launched in October of last year, 50 million uh, of those tokens were distributed to the uh, uh, to the biggest users of uh, of the network at the time. It was like the top 10,000. Uh, uh, oh, wow. Uh, who, you know, users. Is that of the referred network. to as an airdrop when you yeah. just gift people those tokens? Yeah. 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 So you um, gift those people the tokens, but it's not enough for any of them to get rich. It's just enough for them to splashy cashy basically tip people for their music uh well it varied so there were some uh uh you know some of the biggest folks uh uh you know who were part of that airdrop like earned you know a, a dollar amount over over like a hundred thousand dollars from wow. it, right um yeah so uh uh so yeah it was pretty wild and and even more wild was seeing like some of because it was it was based on how much you were engaging on Audius, how much you contributed to the network, how much your content got listened to. There was this whole kind of formula thing, and uh, uh, there were some folks who you know there there's uh, uh, I don't I don't want to name his his uh, his name um, because you know he he's in the midst of building his artist career and he probably wouldn't want to be known for this, but you know he he waits tables to to get by and he made like over a hundred thousand dollars on on Whoa. you know in tokens on this. Um, and, uh, uh, even, even crazier, he was like, well, I'm, uh, I'm not going to sell those. I'm going to hold them, uh, wow. uh, because I think this will be worth more. And you know, he did, he did very well based on that choice. So, so you don't have equity in your company or the equity doesn't matter because it's just a, basically a shell corporation. So when you raise the 5.5 million, that goes for you to hire the developers to kind of work on the project to begin with. Is that right? It's exactly right. Um, okay. So, so uh, the company uh, raised about ten million dollars pre the token launch over two rounds, um, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, yeah, both of those rounds were into uh, into tokens. So, uh, that how much did those people pay for making that crazy bet per token? A penny a token, a, a dollar uh, a token? Yeah, between two and three cents, depending on when. So they're up a hundred x at this point in time on their original investment in two years. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I can't uh, uh, comment on on you know the the price and whatnot, but well, the um, price is two forty seven, yeah. and you gave it for two cents, so yeah, be a hundred x. It's just math. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff is public, right? When we talk about this, one of the great things about talking to a crypto person is you don't have to be private about this. All this information is on the chain and public. It is, yeah. So we would know 
which venture firm bought which amount of tokens in that sale. It would be we see their wallet, right? And we'd see them buy it on the blockchain. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one, actually. So I think uh, uh, it's it's not as like obvious or clear on chain uh, uh, wow. what those large holders are, are doing. Um, the reason being that, uh, uh, for example, many custodians, so there are these professional services that hold tokens on behalf of others. They'll Got like it. pool together tokens and they do like funky, funky uh, kind of things. Yeah. So, so this whole idea that crypto is transparent and the blockchain is transparent gets totally obscurified by the fact that there are custodians who bundle this together and abstract that. So that whole concept, which was one of the powerful things, um, can also be reversed, just like an LLC, somebody could own a series of homes under some crazy LLC yeah. that nobody recognizes. So you can abstract that. Yeah, um, which is actually I mean, even without the custodian thing, like what if what if I just have like 50 wallets, right? Like it's free to make more. So so uh, yeah, it's, yeah, you it's, can make uh, 500, right? Like you yeah, can try exactly. To as a computer science person, that. you could write a script right now to make an unlimited number of wallets, or is there some upper cap? No, I mean, cost well, them? It, each one costs some money in terms of Ethereum to interact with. So there is some, uh, you can't have like a billion uh, wallets right. or something, but you could have like 10,000 plus, and people actually do that, right? Like, uh, uh, especially. Why would they do that? Uh, uh, folks want anonymity. They want, you know, all kinds of things. Um, I, I haven't done that. Um, I don't think. Uh, most um so we could find your wallet do you share your wallet and what's in it because i see that's like a trend amongst crypto people is publishing their wallet right it, it is a trend uh so you know i i choose not to uh, uh to share that just because there's sort of some you know operational security risk you take well on yeah there. then people could hack yeah. your shit right so let me ask you this when you start the company and you have all these coins you're the founder you don't get equity in a company that has a cap table, really. I mean, I'm guessing mm -hmm. you do, but that company's never going to get sold, right? That company is is worthless, right? Is, is the position that so we how take, many? Yeah. How do you decide how many coins to give yourself as the founder? And yeah, is that, so that must be public information, right? Uh, that that's not. Uh, uh, Why would it not be? Isn't the whole point? Of, are, um, isn't the whole point of crypto to like be transparent and people to know if they're going to buy into this project that they know how much you gifted yourself? Like, what if you gifted yourself? in a hypothetical situation, 80 90% of the tokens, then everybody else is like the sucker at the poker table, you control the currency. Yeah, well, so what is public, uh, publicly disclosed, and they're even like, I think norms have emerged in the community around what uh, uh, kind of, you know, what folks should be transparent about. Um, uh, but you don't necessarily want to be going and naming, you know, so and so has x number of tokens, because again, it becomes a security risk, right? I mean, I, I know folks who've been kidnapped, who've been extorted, who I mean, there's just all kinds of, you know, really nasty things that you don't want, uh, uh, you know, to to have, um, you know, happen. But, um, you know, in the case of Audius, uh, there's this uh, foundation that helps steward the growth of, of the network. Um, uh, and that owns 20% of the token supply. So 200 million tokens. Um, the early team uh, uh, folks are own, a, a, you know, and, and um, I, I'd have to actually pull up the, the precise distribution in, in front of me, but it's, uh, it's also on our website and whatnot. I, I think it's, it's around 35, 37% of the, uh, uh, the full pie. So like 350, 370 million tokens, somewhere thereabouts. Um, so the founders and all the early employees, and, and I guess you get to pick who gets what as the founder, you distribute uh, like an equity yeah. cap table. Yeah, it's like a, you, a, you distribute it. Yeah, yeah. 
do they vest them or do they just all get gifted them at the 0.01 percent the oh, point no, it's all the one it's penny. all um it's all vested and uh it, wow. it actually was you know most of those were distributed before there was like a price on on the token so let so, me ask you like a practical question as the founder then if you give people all that all those tokens and then all of a sudden it appreciates and they become a millionaire or deca millionaire then how do you keep them working on the project don't they just quit and go to italy and sit by a beach so fascinating question um and it's one that you know we and many other projects are grappling with as we speak right um uh, I think so that is happening people are just getting instantly rich and then you have to rely I mean, there, there on them wanting who, to get more rich yeah i mean there are people who uh uh you know joined a, a project like audio say two years ago right or two and a half years ago and and are you know now like kind of in the range of what you just described right so um, those tokens still vest, right? There's a four-year vest on on them. Ah. Uh, the company uh, uh, or the foundation actually maintains like a repurchase right against them, right? Ah, so um, and that repurchase light right lapses uh, with time. But um, you know there are folks who are fully vested and and still uh, uh, still here. And and the reason for that is, you know, I mean, think about uh, think about if like 99% of your net worth were were one thing, what would you do? You'd want to make it I've more been valuable. There. Right. I've like, been there. Yeah. <laughs> You've yeah. seen me on CNBC talking about Uber and defending the company. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've been there. <laughs> so so it, it creates some really interesting uh, dynamics though, right? I mean, because liquidity just happens so much earlier in the life of one of these things yeah. than it would in like a normal company, right? It would be um, as if the Uber employees or SpaceX employees could just exercise their shares without needing permission for a secondary share. They could just being public on day one essentially is what it is. So, um, does the is the foundation a nonprofit? Uh, it is. I I actually don't. I don't want to misspeak on the precise status of of it. Huh. Um, because it's it's not based in the U.S. So I, I don't think the oh, it's like in this within the Zerg or the Zerg or whatever. Uh, it is. Ours is in uh, Panama, but it Got doesn't. It. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know exactly what. There's some. Basically, there's a different type of of organization Entity, where I, I don't yeah. think it's tax exempt, but it is. Uh, uh they're sort of a. A separate set of um, stewards of, of that organization, and there are some specific rules about how they can distribute. Because you can't do any of this in the U.S., right? You can't do it in the U.S. because, and you don't sell tokens to people in the U.S. And you have like a little warning on your website: "Hey, you can't buy these tokens. You have to be an accredited investor, kind of thing." Because people could look at them as shares as opposed to utility tokens. Uh, it's it's actually not so much that as uh, this entity structure, like a you know, I don't I don't think one of these foundations could be seen as like a bona fide five hundred one c three nonprofit because there is I mean there's an incentive to make the tokens like more more valuable, etc. Right, so um, I think uh, uh, that's where the confusion kind of lies on on that front. Um, so so I think that's why many projects have these foundations in Switzerland, in Panama, in Singapore. There are three or four uh, jurisdictions that I think have this. It's called a foundation, actually, but I, I don't know the precise legal term for for what um, you know. What's, kind of what's the governance of this foundation? Uh, so there's uh, uh, kind of a, a group of. Um, of of uh, directors that are that are basically kind of responsible for executing, uh, uh, you know what what is asked of them or required of them by uh, by the network. But there's actually like a prescribed set of um, kind of uh, rules that that govern how you know basically what they do, right? So um, 
so yeah, it, it is uh, it is not governed by like a board of directors or or anything like that. Um, there's basically like this this almost like rule set that they uh, they have to follow. So basically, as the founder of one of these companies, since we're on this week in startups, you create one of these projects, you keep a third of the tokens or 37% or whatever you said for your team and yourself to give to them as um, a motivation to work on this. And then you sell tokens to venture capitalists and other folks in order or maybe in an ICO or did you offer them in some sort of initial coin offering or something like that? We did not. Um, oh. The only way that you could, uh, uh, you know, there were there were sort of private token sales um, uh, executed, and then uh, you know the, the token kind of uh, when it launched, uh, uh, you know, markets started to emerge around it. Basically, it. so so, so you get to choose. Even, you get to like say, oh, I want to sell ten million tokens to this venture firm, ten million tokens to this private investor, whoever. You get the money for that into the foundation. The foundation then has money to pay developers to kickstart the whole thing. Yep. It's about right. Yeah. It's then, very different, right? It's, yeah, it's so uh, weird. Yeah. So how much did the foundation sell in tokens and how much money does the foundation have to hire developers? Uh, so that was 20, 20 mil, or sorry, 200 million left, like after all the private sales had, had happened. So that like $10 million that, um, that got the, the network to launch that happened prior. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, the foundation actually hasn't, uh, you know, at least as far as I'm, I'm aware and I'm not, you know, I don't work for the foundation, so I don't actually, who do you work uh, for? Uh, I work for, there's uh you know, the U S company that I mentioned, which is separate, got uh, it. separate. So you created so, the project, but you're not on the foundation. No, yeah, I'm, I'm not. Um, okay, I'm super confused right now. That's so the nature of you know it is it is a decentralized <laughs> ecosystem, right? There there are actually like three or four other companies like my company that exists to help uh, build audience um, and get grants from the foundation and and from other folks. Wow. Yeah. So how much money does the foundation have? Uh, they have two hundred million tokens. Two hundred million tokens. So they got four hundred. Wow, they've got four hundred fifty million or five hundred million dollars in tokens and some group of people who nobody knows who they are or there's listed on your website or is there a foundation website uh it is uh yeah it's it's um kind of through the the structure it's not disclosed publicly who who those folks are um again there's some security concerns and, and whatnot. so there is a unknown organization in panama which we don't know who's on it that controls 450 million dollars yep that is so bizarre. And you're not on it and you created this. That's right. Yeah. But you know who's on it, but nobody can know because of security reasons. Well, I think there's, I mean, look, you, you just said it yourself. There's, there's a big bag of, uh, uh, of value that they control there. And, uh, you know, that's. There, yeah, there's but Tim Cook controls there. more money on the planet than anybody. And we know Tim uh, but Cook's I do name. think, uh, in, in crypto, there's sort of, um, there's certain controls that like the traditional banking system has to prevent uh, uh, extortion issues, things like that. Um, someone like Tim Cook also has a full-time security team, right? So, uh, uh, you know, there's different concerns for, for folks. I mean, even like yourself, Jason, right? That you have to- No, I have security about, concerns, so. yeah, but yeah. I don't get to put money in the emerging world and have no accountability for it. Everybody knows how much stock I own in S1s and those kind of things. So I don't get to hide it. That's the thing that I think is crazy. Like, and then the fact that you started this thing, you don't know. <laughs> like, 
And then they make the decisions for this. It's like a crazy brave new world. I can't get my my hand my head around. Yeah, so um, I think we're we're not alone in in this kind of uh, uh, structuring. Like the Ethereum Foundation, I think really did a fantastic job of like setting a, a standard of expectations around transparency around operation. You know, you can a, a lot of folks give them a lot of uh, crap for how they've you know managed those funds and and whatnot. But I think they did set the standard for what the community should expect and should look for around uh, decentralization, right? Like. Look, if I were in a position to control all of that and like all this other stuff, like this thing would not be decentralized, right? Like I would not, uh, uh, you know, be uh, uh, be able to actually, you know, realize the vision that we set out for this network, right? Um, so it what all serves the, that goal. What is the 51% account, uh, you know, attack that people talk about or the being able to, you know, uh, own all the mining and then be able to you know, vote to give yourself all the shares through the smart contract. This has happened with some DAOs. And how does one, when you launch a project, protect against that? Because the way you're describing it, you don't, you're not on the board of the foundation. There are 60 miners out there who paid to be on it. They get to vote on smart contracts to change anything. You sound like you have little control over what's going to happen in the future. So what happens if a bad actor, you know, a bunch of Russian hackers, Chinese hackers, whatever, some rich person comes in, buys out 50 nodes, and then they just go, okay, you know what, we're going to have this work in a centralized way. And we want the foundation yeah. to give us all the tokens. Like, how do you stop that kind of bad actor situation? I know I'm making it sound crazy. And it's probably no, not as crazy as I made it sound. I don't but think it's that I don't think it's that crazy. Because um, it's, it's happened before, not with um, kind of tokens, at least as far as I can recall, but like 51% attacks have happened in hash power. And it's in in principle, similar things. So um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, what you really, there, there are two things that folks will look to, um, kind of, you know, the, the level of distribution of the, um, of the token, meaning that like, you should need a pretty large number of people to get to 51% ownership of the token. So like a large number of people would have to collude to, to misbehave, to like cause a problem. Um, that reduces the risk. Uh, the other thing, like, you know, to, to your question of, you know, what if, what if, uh, uh, some, you know, really, uh, rich person or some say institution with deep pockets decided they wanted to, uh, take, take a network like this down or, or do whatever or control um, it, co-opt it. Exactly. Yeah. Like what if so, Spotify decides like, this is a really great idea and it's disruptive and they have unlimited capital and they just start buying the nodes and buying people out and, you know, they build up the infrastructure here. Yeah, I mean, so uh, uh, I think that's actually why so many of these networks have a native token. Um, it actually becomes, think about like, if you tried to buy 51% of the outstanding shares in a in a company, like you would drive the price up so much in the mm. process of doing that, it becomes just financially infeasible to, to do so, right? Mm. Um, uh, even, you know, activist investors, if they try to uh, take over a public company, that will get like, 5% usually before their hand is tipped, right? Like it's just impossible to, uh, uh, to aggregate that much without like meaningfully altering the, the landscape of the market. And, uh, I think that's, that's kind of a, a similar thing here, right? Like for someone to actually go buy, uh, uh, 51% of the outstanding tokens, um, you know, that it, it just would, it would it would completely uh, uh, you know it, it, you could think of it as like the the it, it would be impossible to execute that trade in like a reasonable yes. way I guess yeah so if you succeed and uh, you get 
I don't know, a million artists to be releasing content on here and making money, what would the music industry look like in 10 years if it had like a Bitcoin or Ethereum like run and you went to a $10 billion market cap from a billion and you just had massive participation and major artists were releasing on this platform and Jay-Z and Beyonce and whoever were releasing songs on it, what would that look like for the world? Yeah, so, so you know, we're, we're well on our way. Over 100,000 artists have uploaded so far. And uh, yeah, I mean, some, some folks whose names uh, people might recognize like Skrillex, Diplo, Deadmau5, uh, uh, Steve Aoki, like you said, uh, uh, Blau, RAC, like there are a lot of, you know, bigger name folks that, that you would recognize that actively, uh, actively use Audius today. Um, you know, what, what does the world look like? I think it's one where artists and fans are engaging, uh, financially, uh, with one another directly with no intermediaries, with no, uh, uh no one sitting between and controlling that relationship. Um, and I, I think that that future, right, is one where artists can make so much more and monetize the value of their work so much better than they do today, right? Um, artists today capture about 12% of the total revenue that the music industry generates. Uh, so of the $43 billion a year brought in by the entire industry, only 12% makes it to the very folks who make all the value, right? Uh, or at least I think so, right? So um, and I don't think there's any one enemy you can point to and say, oh, you know, it's it's the right societies or, oh, it's so and so that like messed this all up. Um, there's just a lot of baggage, right? It's just a, a, a very, um, you know, old and, and legacy kind of industry, right, that, um, you know, that that has uh, uh that still operates as though, you know, it costs capital to produce more music, right? Think like 30 years ago, if, uh, uh, you know, you were releasing a record, you had to have a factory to produce those records and a distribution network to physically send them to, to stores, right? Those e the economics of artists capturing about 12% kind of makes sense when you think about just the gargantuan amount of capital it takes to even get a record into the hands of people. And that's why like only a few hundred artists could really be breakout successful because there's only so much retail shelf space to, to mm. actually, you know, access it. But uh, today, you know, the marginal cost of distributing another track is zero, right? Uh, that's what software did. So the industry hasn't caught up to that reality, um, but it quickly is. Um, mm. I think even seeing the labels have remade themselves uh, from a business model perspective as effectively like kind of full service, like artist services, you know, yes. marketing, marketing, artists. touring, yes. they've merged, they're really moving into other ones. And so somebody in the network could create their own merchandising, you know, offering. Yeah, they already allow, are. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? And then yeah. you can participate with your audio coins, or you could do a touring one. And none of this has to do with people paying in their player yet. But at some point, somebody could make a player that says, hey, in order to listen to this group of artists, or to listen to this song in the first week, you have to pay this amount. For the next month, you pay this amount and for the next, you know, for the first year, you pay this amount and then it's free after that and create subscriptions using the coin. People can do whatever they want with this token, right? It's exactly right. Um, and, and yeah, they, they already are even, um, you know, the, the way that, uh, uh, you know, content is accessed on Audius to, to what you just said, you know, more than half of listening on the network is from third party interfaces. It's not from, you know, the Audius.co. Um, everyone from like, 
video games have integrated this catalog oh, wow. because they get yeah. cool music for it, uh, for their game or whatever. Um, everyone from those folks to, uh, you know, there are these, uh, uh, you know, other cool music player interfaces. There's actually like, uh, there are a few mobile apps that are like better than the, the Audius, uh, like official app or, or whatever, because our team didn't have the resources or the time to build a native app. Um, so it's like a react native thing and it, it kind of sucks. So some folks in the community took it uh, upon themselves to say, hey, I can make a better one. So I'm going to do it. What do you think and about this idea of uh, Royal as we wrap up here, where like you can, they're basically creating a way for artists to share ownership in their music with the fans and then participate in royalties, which was something I talked about on a previous podcast for like stock photography or something and having the downstream rights. What do you think of those ideas? Yeah, so Justin uh, Blau, one of the founders, is a close friend of uh, of mine. He's a big Audius user too. Um, so, I mean, candidly, I, I love the idea. I think it's a fantastic way to um, uh, uh, to be able to like get to you know support your favorite artists, be part of their fandom. Like, it's very much aligned with how we've been approaching Audius. Um, the way is I would it competitor kind of or a contemporary? Because are they uh, a crypto? They're blockchain too. Yeah. They are blockchain based. Um, I think they're not competitive with us uh, uh, because they're they're going about a similar set of problems, but in an opposite direction, right? Like we've created this kind of new music economy um, mm. in, in, and this ecosystem and community of, you know, five, uh, five million odd people. And, you know, it's, it's just a completely disjoint world from like the existing music industry, right? Um, Whereas uh, uh, Royal, I think, is is trying to go the opposite way, right? Saying, you know, how can we bridge the old world of Spotify royalties and other things that go to companies and, and things like this into an on-chain kind of context, right? Where, uh, uh, you know, once those things are programmably, uh, you know, accessible on-chain, there's all kinds of cool stuff that you could potentially do. So cool, man. I really appreciate you being so honest and giving me an education and explaining to the audience in a very simple way how these projects work. Uh, and you really stood up to like a hard line of questioning here um, that no other crypto person has ever explained it, I think, as well as you how to get a project off the uh, off the uh, ground. I would love to book you for a year from now and just check in with you about how the project is going, if that's okay with you. Let's do it. Would love All right. To. Okay. Ronald, I will see you in one year exactly from today, August 26, 2022. We'll put it on the calendar and we'll see everybody next time on This Week in Startups. Bye-bye.